everyone, and welcome to today's podcast session on L&D challenges. This is Richard from Assemble U, and I've got a brilliant guest here today, Phil King. Hello, Richard. Hi. Good to Hi. chat with you, Phil. Should we start with quick introductions? Maybe share a bit about your corporate background and consultancy work? That would be yeah. Good. Yeah. So my background is predominantly, you know, working in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry. I had about 20 years from from everything really from sort of initially carrying the bag and doing the, the sales roles into moving into training and finding my passion in coaching and then learning and development i went back into doing some more than kind of commercial management roles and sales management roles before then landing back in in learning and organizational development which is where i really found my my happy place and particularly in the sort of field of leadership development and then i decided to embark on my own kind of consulting business about three years ago, predominantly just to go and I, I was sort of desperate really to go and explore the world outside of outside of pharma and outside of healthcare. And 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 I think I've been mildly successful at that since probably most of my network obviously exists in the pharmaceutical and healthcare sector. So a lot of my work is still working in that region, but a little bit more and more increasingly outside of that as well. So, but predominantly my passion and love is working in in organizational development and leadership development, particularly in organizations that are going through periods of sort of high complexity, change, transformation, and really getting into leadership teams and working with them and the dynamics that exist in teams to think about how they can kind of lead with greater impact. Fascinating. I did not know you carried a bag in sales, so credit to you. That was <laughs> off gig to start out in it. It wasn't that tough, to be fair. It was, it was pretty good fun, you know. <laughs> I, I reflect back on that period with a lot of happy with a lot of happy memories. You know, it was a really good time to be in the industry and a lot of a lot of my role was really just kind of meeting and greeting doctors and taking lots of people out for lunch and having nice meals. To be perfectly honest, coming out of university, being given a car and a mobile phone and being told to kind of go and enjoy yourself. And, I, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. It could have been tougher for me. Well, maybe you'll go back. Brilliant. So <laughs> complexity, that's something that's come up a few times when we've spoken. And what we're here to talk about today is largely around engagement in learning and that that classic challenge that a lot of companies struggle on. Have you got any stories to start us off around challenges with learner engagement and how, how you maybe addressed that or impacted it? Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is, is that engaging organizations or engaging people in learning is, is something that's shifted over the past 10, 15 years from being something that's a nice to have in organizations. This is my view, right? Something yeah. that's a nice to have in organizations where slowly it's becoming recognized as something that's a, a sort of strategic necessity. So, and, and not just for the reasons of, you know, if we don't show that we're investing in our people, they're not going to stay with us. We're not going to, we're not going to attract the young talent, the people that want to be developed. It's also clear that the world that we're existing in has become increasingly more and more complex. The organizations, you know, in order for them to sort of stay relevant for the long term and create a sort of sustainable long-term vision, they need to be organizations that can flex and move and adapt in a really rapid way to, to meet the demands of the, the world that we're living in now. And, and to be able to do that, you need an organization. If you think about it like a, a living beast, a living organism, it needs to be able to rapidly evolve and change and adapt to the environment. So it's become essential that organizations really think about how are we as an organization, how are our people, how are we investing in our people and engaging our people in this notion that we need to be in a constant state of kind of evolution and change and, and learning. So, yeah, it feels to me like it has, it's become something that's become 
like a, a really kind of critical strategic necessity. Yet still, it, it does feel at times, and certainly if I think back to my work at, at Rush, it still feels at times to be something that becomes deprioritized. And deprioritized probably for a lot of reasons. Does it show that, can we, can we, you know, can we realistically on a piece of paper show the definitive return on investment and investment that we make in learning? You know, if we think about the business challenges that we face, where does like learning actually sit alongside those business challenges? How important do we really fundamentally believe it to be? And also, you know, as well, like we're leadership in the organization in order for this to really sit, so in order to really land, if you like, culturally, and there to be a genuine shift, the leadership of the organizations need to set the example and they need to be in a, in a constant state of evolution and change and development and a recognition, I guess, that what's got me where I am is not necessarily going to be the thing that's going to get me where I need to be or where we need to be as an organization moving forward. So how much of a commitment is there at a senior leadership level? Absolutely. To recognize that they're not the finished article with it. They're not perfect. And they do still need to be continuously evolving and, and, and moving forward. Because without that, I think importantly, the rest of the organization are unlikely to follow necessarily. So in, in answer to your, I, I think, <laughs> in answer to your question, or at least to put a frame around the question, it feels to me very much like that this isn't something that whether whether or not we do engage people in learning in our organizations is no longer something that we can choose whether or not is a priority it absolutely has to be fundamentally one of the necessary you know one of the most important strategic priorities for any business if we want to stay relevant moving forward yeah great answer we often hear things are a little more tactical you know tools systems processes programs and stuff but ultimately cultural shift and and leadership adoption seem to be vital here in your consultancy work so you're working across multiple businesses are you seeing this as a, a priority for leadership teams are they are they embracing it or are they also struggling and too busy to kind of lead from the front in terms of learning behavior i'll, I'll give my little theory on it and i'll propose my little model if you like which is just an entirely Phil King constructed model, and I've no idea whether it has any validity, but I'll throw it out there in any case just to see whether it be a book at one in a couple of years' time. If it lands exactly, yeah, this will be the basis of my master. But <laughs> I'm I'm now going to like put it out there in the world, and someone will no doubt steal it. But I don't think it's that much of a gem to be worth stealing. But I would say I think that yes, intuitively yes, clearly I think most leaders that I work with, certainly in organisations at the top top teams recognize intuitively that there is this necessity for us to invest in learning. I think I, I kind of see it as a bit of a, a triad. And one of the exercises that I will sometimes run with the, with the if, if the right people are, are listening is to get them to think about these three areas of capability, capacity and culture in their organization when it comes to learner engagement. So first of all, you know, do our people have the capability to learn? And by capability, I kind of, I mean, I'm probably, this is where my model comes unstuck because the link is sometimes a little bit tenuous, but bear with me. Capability, do my people have the capability? So do they understand, you know, how to learn? And do they also have the means and the resources by which they can do that? So what, you know, what does actually learning mean? And, and like, how do I access learning in my organization? So that's a, that's one thing. Like, do we have as an organisation the capability to enable people to reach into, to dip in and out of learning, and be able to kind of build their capability and their mindset and their skills, etc. That's the first thing. The second thing is around the capacity. So, am I genuinely creating space 
as a leader in this organization? Am I genuinely creating the capacity for people to be able to learn? And also as my individual prerogative, am I creating the space for myself to learn? Is my workload genuinely too busy that I just haven't got the capacity? I've got to deal with customer requests. I've got to deal with issues that are coming through. I haven't got the space to be able to take two hours in a day, one hour in a day, whatever it is, the two days, perhaps to put myself on a program, which is actually going to build my capability and help my learning. So there's a capacity question there as well. And the other is the culture. And I've kind of alluded to it already, but I feel is probably arguably one of the most important, which is, is there a genuine culture in this organization that enables me and allows me to learn, to create space for my learning? Or is there a kind of presenteeism element here where actually it's probably the badge of honor for me to stay late and work late and always be in a state of busyness is far greater than actually me being willing to step into a space where actually I'm saying, no, I'm not doing that stuff that you want me to do because this is protected time that I need to develop myself and develop my learning. And, and, and importantly, as I said, I think leadership setting the example in this respect absolutely is fundamentally key. You know, that they, they, they're kind of arbiters, if you like, of the, of the arbiters, perhaps the wrong word, but they kind of own, if you like, or they, they lead on the culture of the organization. So if absolutely the leadership are willing to protect time, to create space for their development, for their learning, that will definitely kind of flow through the rest of the organization. So I would consider working with organizations, whether it's at leadership teams or whether it's a sort of people and culture conversation to really explore these four, these three aspects of the triad and really think about where do we sit? Now, what's our current state in this? Like, to what extent do we have the right capability in our organization to enable learning? What, where, do we, where do we sit with the culture and what example are our leadership setting? And where are we actually genuinely recognizing the kind of capacity of our people? And are there requirements for more resource or for more people or whatever it is to, to kind of free up that capacity? Yeah. And just diving into those kind of three areas will unlock perhaps to some extent some areas in which organizations can improve and tweak in order to improve kind of learner engagement, ultimately. I really like this, the three C's model by Phil King. Copyright. I think it's got legs for sure. You, you're, you're onto something. Capacity is the one that's really jumping out for me at the moment. It's just sort of the number one objection we hear out in the marketplace is mm. time. Why, you know, why are your staff not engaging more with learning? Time is kind of critical and poor. So have you got any advice for people around leadership professionals or in instilling this out into their teams around protecting capacity so that they address their uh, self-development time? Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? I too have a podcast, Richard, as you know, and yeah. I had a guy on the podcast. So the, the, the podcast is predominantly around leadership and in particular, this notion of soulfulness in leadership, and which is something I'm particularly curious to explore. The one area that I was really interested to kind of unpick, which feels like one of the hot topics in big challenges for most organizations, which is this one of well-being, particularly off the back of COVID. And it's a really, it's a really high up on the agenda for most organizations to really think about the well-being programs that exist and how to engage people in the well-being programs. Interestingly, a lot of what we've already described applies similarly. You know, the three C's absolutely apply to well-being as much as, as they do learning. What I talked about with him, which I was really interested to understand, because it's very rare. I do a lot of coaching and I, and I work with coaching, with, whether on an individual level or with, with leadership teams. It's very rare now, as you've just described, that I will have a conversation with anybody where I ask them how they are and they don't respond or somewhere along the lines of, you know, there's, that, you know, busy, stressed, overworked, tired, no, no capacity for anything, you know, just, and, and I know, and, and it feels a little bit like not to devalue those responses 
at all. I'm not suggesting they're lying. They're real, but they, they are in this space of kind of overworked and, and hectic, but it almost feels like it's a default position that we all, that we're all assuming at the moment is we, yeah. we kind of take this default. It's almost like there's a sort of systemic stress, busyness and tiredness that exists in our society, which is weird in a way, because we've never been in a place where we're better able not to be overworked and stressed. If you think about it, you know, our access to goods, medication, our, you know, the efficiency of our, you know, tech and what have you, we should be really theoretically in a space where we can create more space for ourselves. But instead, we're kind of constantly overwhelmed. And I was quite keen to get his take on it. Now, you'll be disappointed to hear. I don't, I don't think we fixed it. <laughs> but it was interesting to get his reflections that we're, I mean, this is maybe an obvious thing to say, but again, our world has evolved so rapidly that we're constantly in a state now where we're, we're never off. Like there's, there's literally no, you know, I've got a constant kind of barrage and whether it's like Instagram, Facebook of people that, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't probably have had any sort of relationship with had it not been for those things. And I'm hearing how they're doing and what they're up to and, and constantly getting messages from all angles. And it feels a little bit like we're, we're, there's never, there's never a moment in the day when we haven't got something that we could be doing. And so a part of what he was talking about was the need for our bodies, like he was talking about it in the context of exercise, but also if we're doing whatever it is, if there's a sort of period of doing, there also needs to be a, a period of rest and recuperation. We'd lead to let our bodies, so professional athletes will train, but unless they then properly, adequately rest and rehydrate and eat, then they're just going to get injured. It's not sustainable. And the same absolutely applies, I think, to our well-being. There has to be this recognition that if we're in a, if we're in a state of, of kind of doing, we equally need to dedicate time to just kind of being, if you like, to, to resting and to recuperate and need to prioritize that. Otherwise, we're in a position which isn't going to be sustainable. So it's really difficult. I'm not suggesting it's a, there's an easy fix to it. And, and I know that there are multiple pressures and I know I'm not going to answer it in this one question. But I think that realization suddenly dawned on me a little bit when you think about it in the context of kind of high performing athletes, it, they're not going to be able to perform at a peak level under any circumstances, unless they dedicate as much time to their rest as they do to their practice and their training and their doing. So there's something that felt like there was something in that for me. We need to absolutely dedicate and critically create space for our mindset, our well-being to kind of regenerate. Otherwise, it's not going to be a sustainable, you know, it's not going to be sustainable for us here. This podcast is brought to you by Assemble You, the audio learning specialists. Adam here, co-founder of Assemble U. My cousin Rich and I started Assemble U in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with formal, outcome-driven learning that had real impact. The result is a power skills library that helps coach and guide listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being productivity, growth, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Each AssembleU audio lesson is succinct and backed by research and real-life experience. They all include additional learning aids, including downloadable keypoint infographics, further reading lists, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your bespoke audio requirements by visiting assembleu.com. So much coming to mind here, do you know? So work has become so digitally focused, calls 
emails, etc. over the last, let's just say 20 years, I don't really know the time frame, but so has social life. And so that moment you, earlier where you were referring to everyone being overwhelmed, you, you just look at the way we live and there, there is no break. And this is something that we're quite passionate about in our business. And we, we talk about screen fatigue quite a lot and how people are just burning out on screens. You know, when you come off this call, you might check your Instagram, then you'll check your email and then you'll you know, be on another FaceTime call is, is just ongoing and getting that separation from the screen is actually something that we're seeing, you know, there's reports from World Health Organization around burnout and connecting it to this. And and there, there's so much going on in this space now in, in business and the people that can handle that capacity of screen time and that capacity of data are the ones that are sort of operationally thriving. It seems it's, you know, their, their speed of work, their efficiency is, is excellent. And it just feels like a real moment in industry right now where we're seeing burnout, screen fatigue, overwhelm, just the weight of, of work and information coming through as being too heavy. And, and then you see things like the rise of meditation and yoga. You see people starting to move into sort of protecting their time. And your your word, your 3C word of capacity, I, I do think that that is almost like an umbrella term for what's going on in, in yeah. experiences. It's a, yeah, it's a really interesting reflection. I mean, it's minded me a little bit of a, it was actually a group Really, it was a, an organization that I've, I've been working with, which will remain absolutely nameless, but it's a consulting organization <laughs> in essence. But they had a very specific profile of leader. So this is working with with kind of directors, partner level leaders in their organization. So quite senior, very successful people of doing some leadership development work with them and using a tool that I use as a, a kind of a coaching tool, which offers them a sort of certain profile. And there was a very distinct profile that was consistent with this group. And whether that was because it's a profile of people that the organization recruits or whether it was almost a profile that the organization creates is, is open to debate and probably arguably both of those things. But the profile was one essentially of highly driven people that had a kind of deep lying need to be successful and need to win. Highly ambitious, highly driven people, real kind of, you know, which is a, a, a great trait to have. But also, you know, arguably if overinflated can be quite difficult, exceptionally good leaders. But the one area that was particularly always damaged was their balance, their ability to switch off, whether that meant working weekends, whether that meant working while they were away on holiday, et cetera, et cetera. It was almost a given. They sort of said, well, that's if that's what I need to do in order to win, to be successful, to move up my career, to be ambitious, to achieve whichever goal it is that I'm desperately trying to achieve. And that's what that's what will come. That's the cost. Now, intuitively, they would recognize in these conversations that that isn't a sustainable option for them. Like they would recognize that if I continue on this path, overdrive, overambition at the cost of my sustainability, I will almost definitely burn out and I will probably end up divorced and I'll, I'll probably end up quite but sad and lonely. But, you know, it's not sustainable. And actually, I'm not happy with it and I'm not comfortable. It's tiring. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over it. So the, the idea in a way is, well, how do I sort of turn up that balance? And as a result of that, kind of allow my, my drive and ambition to, to wane away a little bit. And what was really interesting is that I kind of come back to these guys over, over a sort of three, four month period and recheck in with them. And inevitably, we would fall back into the same traps very quickly. They'd make this effort to shift their balance and then fall back into the same track. And I don't know if you've ever come across this idea of immunity to change, but it's, the, it's this idea of we can see intuitively this. Oh, it goes, I'm doing it a disservice, but you can see intuitively what the issue is. 
and and even to some extent what the underlying need is but it sometimes requires us to pick a little bit further under the surface to really uncover what are some of the assumptions that really underpin this ongoing repetitive pattern that i fall into and when you unpick some of those patterns for these guys it really came down to you know but basically the question is what would it say about you if you were to focus solely on your balance so that you can have this kind of you so you don't end up divorced and you and you have this kind of sustainable long-term happy career and you're a little bit more comfortable and happy what would it actually say about you and it would say well you know it probably means i'm not driven anymore means that i'm not ambitious means that i'm not going to be successful means that my parents aren't going to be proud of me anymore whatever it is you know it could be that all of these sort of funny little assumptions and stories that we've all sort of told ourselves about why this stuff is important so actually if you scratch under the surface there are all sorts of things that might be underpinning that behavior. So I think the point I'm getting at is probably a big key to it, as well as saying to yourself that you're going to dedicate more time to, as, as well as putting all of these measures in place, turning your phone off at a certain time of the day, et cetera, all of those things. There's probably something really valuable in really unpicking and knowing yourself that little bit deeper. Like what is it that really sits? What are some of the assumptions that really sit behind some of these patterns that I find myself in? Maybe uh, just seeking some therapy or counseling or support or coaching might help you to do that a little bit. But I guess the message there is like, you know, investing time in understanding yourself and those patterns a little bit more could be really helpful in 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 helping you to sort of release yourself from them on an individual level a little bit really nice i'll, I'll leave that one there i don't feel that warrants any more addition that's a wonderful piece let's wrap on the three c's yeah yeah is we're building this brand for you as as we right. so appreciate culture, it. capacity and capability i i have a mental memory of courage being a fourth c possibly if you ever want to expand uh, that was, uh, that was a, a nice one i think from a previous conversation we had but i guess if you were a new lnd manager going into a company right now and you knew there was a learning culture challenge ahead of you you knew there was an objection around i haven't got capacity but you did have capability covered so capability is great in terms of the programs they're running, what advice would you give to that person? Yeah, it's good. It's a, I mean, it's a great question, isn't it? Just want to sit here and beat leaders around the head with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, like, I have a huge amount of respect for any leader. I mean, I've not sat at the top table, right? I just sit on the edge of it, holding mirrors up to people, and and I desperately try hard not to sit in a place of judgment under any circumstance because I don't think I could you know, sit at that table and make those difficult decisions and run businesses in the way they do. And I have absolute admiration for them. But what I do believe is the kind of the culture, if you like, of an organization and what the organization is and isn't ultimately capable of doing lives and dies with with what goes on in that top team, you know, in the leadership team or the group of decision makers, if you like. So my instinct would be if i was recommending anything to a new lnd professional would we first of all go in and observe and like really just observe and i think that's good advice for anybody starting a new position is don't make too many judgments don't take make too many assumptions just yet you've heard about this culture of capacity and the culture of learning being impacted by people being overworked etc but really go in and observe and kind of tune into the system a little bit more and really understand actually what's going on below the surface 
But I would be really curious then as well to get into the leadership team and understand that group as best I possibly can and understand what levels of, of kind of buy-in and support there is for real genuine transformation and change in this regard. Because if there is a recognition, as I was sort of alluding to and talking about earlier, that this is absolutely a strategic necessity for our ongoing health and sustainability of our business, then there's a role then for that L&D manager probably to play to hold the mirror up to what's happening in the organisation. So the better informed you are to, to kind of guide that discussion and conversation. The other piece of advice, which was the best piece of advice sometimes, particularly in periods where of, of sort of change and transformation, was really to, if you, if you, if you start to seed ideas into an organisation or you're starting to build some momentum and undoubtedly you need the support of the leadership to in order to be able to do that but was really just like approach it with with patience and and compassion both to yourself and to the people in the organization a lot of people have, have sort of long set in their ways of doing things and they require patience in order to get to where perhaps in your mind you feel that they ought to be and so be, be willing to approach it with patience and compassion, but also follow the energy around the organization. So focus your time and attention on where in the organization are people really engaging with learning, where, where people really are freeing up the capacity and, and explore what impact is that having and, and how is that changing the dynamic in the organization. And the more you follow that energy, the more stories you're able to uncover and, and sort of seed into the organization. The only the hope that you can have is that from that you'll build momentum, at which point the dream, you, you kind of hit some level of tipping point and it becomes an organizational norm rather than an organizational kind of minority. I'm liking the follow the energy. It, it reminds me of a really quite random story about a zoo in America that had penguins. It was like a penguin farm and these penguins got really, I'm going to give you the one minute version. They, they got really lazy and kind of just dormant. They didn't do much. And the zookeeper knew that they needed to change things. So they introduced some high energy penguins that would swim around circles all day long, consume their food, etc., live good lives. And pretty soon all the penguins started to follow. And there, there's a, I forget his name, but there's a book about this. It's quite a good analogy to take when you're, you're looking at concepts like follow the energy and lead by example. I do like that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to say they all got lazy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? <laughs> the old team used to give out the Penguin Award for whoever was that kind of energetic leader of, of the bunch for that, that month. I love it. Yeah. Hey, what's the name of the guy? There's a, there's a book called Tipping Point, isn't there? That might be, that might be where it comes from, actually. That might yeah. Be the, yeah. I'm terrible at remembering the you can cut that book. Probably he's a super famous and prolific writer and we've neither of us been able to manage his name, but <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Well, Phil, that that was brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to plug your podcast. We're here to support. So, no, I'm joking. But do do remind us your, your podcast quickly and then we'll, then we'll wrap up there. The podcast is called The Search for the Soulful Leader. The idea of soulful leadership is something for which I have no, you know, definition. It's another Phil King three C's model. I don't, it's not something I claim to have any ownership of. I'm just, it just for me encapsulates quite a lot of what I believe in and I love about aspirationally about kind of where leadership could be and what leadership could offer the world. And if we were all able to lead perhaps from a more soulful space, then I'm curious to know what impact potentially or positive impact that could have. So the idea of the podcast is purely to just bring in as many different diverse voices as possible to who might have something to share on what the what soulfulness might be in leadership and just share their perspective and opinion on it. And it's just been, I mean, I've loved it. I'm not a professional podcast. 
podcaster. I've come, I've made my peace with that <laughs> a long time ago, but I absolutely love the medium and I love the conversations it's given me the opportunity to have. So they're like, yeah, 45 minute discussions with some awesome people sharing some amazing insights. So just purely for my own personal learning, it's been amazing. But I also from the response we get, I think it's also offering some stuff to our listeners as well. So yeah, go and check it out. Well, we, we've all got high expectations of the intro and outro music now. If it's soulful, there's there's got to be... I a... know. Uh, yeah, we probably missed the trick there, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Been here for the L&D Challenges podcast. This is for part of our initial series around engagement. And thanks for listening. Good. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Bye.